Well, let's open up our Bibles to 2 Corinthians. You know, we're going to begin a new book. We're going to begin a, the book to Corinthians called the Second Corinthians, the second epistle of Paul to the church there in Corinth. I truly believe that we are going to be blessed with this book. You know, this book is a very personal, it's a very intimate letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthians. And it's a letter that reveals his heart. It's a letter that reveals his love. And it becomes a letter also of defense when it comes to his conduct, his character, when it comes to his calling as an apostle. And, and he also reveals this just about giving. And his desire was to collect this love offering from the Corinthians to take it back to the Jews that were there in Jerusalem. When it comes to today's message, I've titled this message Comfort, but we're going to speak much on the topic of comfort today. And what I'm going to do is we're just going to cover verses 1 through 11, and I'm going to break down this, this study into two sections. The first is the comfort in suffering in verses 3 through 7, and the deliverance from suffering in verses 8 through 11. And so with that, let's just go ahead and get right into this book. As he begins there in verse 1, he says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints who are in all Achaia. And then he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, as Paul begins this letter, he begins by stating that he is an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. And it was important that he would reference himself here as an apostle. There were many false teachers. There were false teachers that had come into Corinth, into the church there, and they were questioning the apostleship of Paul. They were questioning, really, the calling of God. They were questioning the ordination of Paul because they were saying that Paul was self-appointed. They were saying that Paul was, you know what, what he self-appointed himself. No one, you know what, ordained him. No one called him. He, he's self-called. He's self-appointed, self-ordained. And so there were many false rumors that were spreading about Paul. And not only about him and his character and who he was, but also when it came to the teachings of Paul. And so, as Paul is going through all of this, experiencing all of this, and not only this, but much hardship that he was experiencing, whereas we're going to talk about today, he felt it necessary to write this title with, within the beginning of the letter. For us, we know Paul's calling. You know, on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9, verse 15, it was Jesus that ordained Paul. He chose Paul. He says, he was a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles, before kings, and before the children of Israel. Though he was not of the original 12 that were chosen by the Lord, Paul was definitely called by the Lord to be an apostle to the Gentiles. As he started off with that, then he begins, or then he mentions Timothy, our brother. Timothy, our brother. You know, what does he mean by this? As he says, and Timothy, our brother. 
basically what this is telling us is that Timothy was with Paul as he wrote this letter, this second letter, or second Corinthians, to the church there in Corinth. To give you some updates on Timothy, Timothy was the one that delivered the letter, the first letter to Corinthians. Corinthians, uh, the first letter or the first epistle of Paul to the Corinthians. It was Timothy that delivered this letter. And when he sent Timothy over to Corinth, Paul returned to Ephesus. And in Ephesus, Paul wrote a very sorrowful letter to the Corinthians, a letter of correction. And this letter is lost, as we're going to cover this next week. We're going to talk about this, but I want you to know that that letter was lost. And, and so when he wrote that letter, Paul, after he wrote that letter, Paul actually went to Macedonia, which is in Greece, northern Greece. And when he was there, this is where Timothy rejoined Paul, when Paul left to Macedonia. And as he rejoined Paul, he was there in Macedonia. He was actually there in Philippi. And, and Paul ended up receiving a great report from Titus, which was another, another disciple of Paul, another man that he was pouring into. Timothy and Titus, they were, they were these men that Paul poured into. And so Titus comes back as, as uh and, re and gives Paul a great report that, you know what, they received this letter. And there's changes going on, and they received it well. And, and based on that, Paul ends up writing this second letter, or this second epistle. It's, you know, in reality, it's actually the fourth letter, for two of them were lost. But this second epistle, the second Corinthians, Paul ends up writing to the Corinthians there, and, and he writes it from Philippi, and he wrote it around 56 AD. And I give you this just to give you some insight and some background information when it came to this letter. But as Paul goes on, he says there in verse 2, he says, grace to you and peace from, our, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you. He says, and, and he says, Peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. When we look at the letters of Paul, I want you to know that this was a very common greeting that Paul gave to the churches. Whenever he would write to them, he would, he would use grace and peace. The letters that he added, mercy, were the letters that he sent to Timothy and to Titus. First and second Timothy as well as Titus, he added grace, mercy, and peace. But the other letters all just had grace and peace. And I want to share this with you because it's something that Paul knew within his heart and something that we all must understand too, that unless we have the grace of God, none of us can ever experience the peace from God. Remember that. Unless you have the grace from, of God, you can never experience the peace of God. And so, again, Paul knew that order and Paul gave this common greeting to all the churches because he understood this very well and he wanted them also to understand it very well. And so as we move forward, we're not, we're not going to get into the meat of our of the message today and we're going to be talking about comfort. As I mentioned to you, I would first talk about the comfort in sufferings and 
We're going to cover this in verses 3 through 7. But let's go ahead and, and begin to talk about verse 3. He says there, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Paul begins by saying, blessed be, blessed be the God, the God that we serve, our Heavenly Father. And as we see this here, right, we, we see that Paul is using this word blessed, and I want you to understand what this word blessed means. This word blessed means praised. So what we have here is a praise when it comes to our God. And as he praises God, he says, you know what? The praise of God comes upon the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he also praises the one that is the Father of mercies, which is God the Father, as well as the God of all comfort. And so what we have here is Paul giving us three titles when it comes to God the Father. He tells us that he is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And not only is he the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, but he also says that he's the Father of mercies. And not only is he the Father of mercies, but he's also the God of all comfort. And so this is of God the Father. And so let's look at each of these three. As he speaks of the Father of Jesus Christ. We praise the Father of Jesus Christ. This is what he's trying to say. You and I are praising the Father of Jesus Christ. We know that time after time that Jesus is referred to as the Son of God. And we know that the Godhead exists in three persons. This is the Trinity that I'm talking about. We have God the Father, we have God the Son, and we have God the Holy Spirit. They are very distinct persons. Though none of them were ever created, and that's one thing that goes out there, that there's a false teaching that Jesus was created because he's the Son of God. No, Jesus has always existed. The Godhead has always existed. And this Godhead exists in three persons, which is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. For us, when it comes to this Father, you and I can also call God our Father. Why can we call him our Father? Because the Bible declares us to be the children of God. You and I can approach him as our father because we are his children. And how do we know we are his children? Because the Bible tells us this. As it says in John chapter 1, verse 12, it says, But as many as received him, speaking of Jesus, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, as we're speaking of Jesus here. And not only as we move on from looking at the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now we're going to talk about the Father of mercies. Paul says here that we praise the Father of mercies. I want you to know the word Father here means, it has a special meaning here also, it means originator. So when we look at God the Father, He is the originator of mercies. When we look at mercies, right, what is mercy? Mercy is really not giving us what we deserve, right? But instead of giving us what we deserve, God is very kind and compassionate towards us. And not only is he kind and compassionate, but he's also very forgiving. And when we look at God, because his very character is to be merciful, 
Mercies originate from him and are received from him. Think about that. Mercies originate with him and they are received from him. And with that, we also have here where he calls him the God of all comfort. Remember, Paul is praising the God of all comfort. This word comfort, as we begin to now look at comfort, it moves Paul to begin to speak to us about this comfort. I want you to know that the word comfort and consolation is repeated ten times in these five verses. From verses 3 through 5, the word comfort, consolation is repeated ten times. And so what does comfort mean? When we look at consolation, consolation means comfort, but what does comfort mean? It means to encourage, it means to help. That's what he means. That's what, when he's talking about the God of comfort, he is saying that the God that we serve is here to encourage us, he's here to help us. And why do we need help? Because we're going to face times of trouble, we're going to face times of tribulation, we're going to face times of suffering. And as we think about this comfort, how does God the Father encourage us or help us? We know we have the Word of God that we can take great comfort in. Not only do we have the Word of God, but we also have the Spirit of God. And I want you to know one thing about the Spirit of God. He is also referred to as the Comforter and the Helper. So he has these titles within his name. So God the Father sends us the Comforter, which is the Holy Spirit. And not only does he send us the Word, not only does he give us the Word and send us the Holy Spirit, but he also sends us other believers. And we're going to cover this in detail as we get, as we go through the scriptures. And so, as we look at his tiles, let's now look at this comfort that we want to talk about. Beginning in verse 4, it says, who comforts us in all our tribulation that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. As he was talking about the God of all comfort, he begins to reveal what God does for us. And basically, he comforts us. And he comforts us, as he says there, in all our tribulation. Remember, as the Father of mercies, God has chosen to comfort, to encourage, and to help us. Why would he do this? Because he understands that our flesh is weak. And especially when we're going through trials and tribulations, he understands how weak we become. And when we look at the word trial or tribulation there, it means troubles, it means afflictions, persecutions, burdens, distresses. So when you and I are going through our troubles, God is working to comfort us, God is working to encourage us, God is working to help us. And one of the things that we know, without a doubt, as, John sta- as Jesus stated in John chapter 16, verse 33, where he says, in this world, you will have tribulation. So based on the known fact that we will have tribulation, it's not an option. You and I on this side of heaven will have tribulation. The same thing, we're going to have troubles. We're going to have distresses. We're going to have burdens. And based on this known fact, God is working to comfort us, 
God is working to encourage us. And that's what's so amazing, that he's there to do these things. But there's also another purpose in all of this. Why does he do this as we look here in verse 4? So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble. As I mentioned to you that God comforts through others. We here are told that he comforts us so that we can comfort others who are going through trouble. The comfort from God has a purpose. I want you to know that. And it's so that we can comfort others. You know, when we look at our own trials, right, how many of us here have been going through some heavy trials, some persecution, some family rejection, some betrayal, maybe a financial issue, maybe a job loss, or maybe some health issues. When God allowed the tribulation in our lives, he also will bring comfort to you. And he brings his comfort by his word, by his spirit, and through others. When I think about what I just mentioned to you, when God allowed the tribulation, I want you to understand that nothing in our lives comes by chance. God allows these things to come. And through it, he has a very purpose. And the scriptures reveal to us that these trials and tribulations, they are in our lives so that God can mature our faith. But it also goes further than this. Because in this maturity, or as we mature, he wants you to become other-centered. He wants you to become other-centered. See, when it comes to your trial, and this would will bring it together, when it comes to your trial, it was all about you. But after your trial, it's all about others. Let me repeat that. When it comes to your trial, it's all about you. But after your trial, it's all about others. And this is what's so amazing. See, our trials are never in vain. They are designed to mature us. They are designed to move us into loving others as we love ourselves. You know, when we think of our own lives, I think that many of us, and I know that without a doubt that every single one of us have gone through some major trials and tribulations. We can all agree that we face these things. But let me ask you this question. In your trial and in your tribulation, have you comforted others? Remember. Your trial, your tribulation, it's for others. When you see somebody else going through the things that you have gone through, are you there to comfort them? Are you there to help them? Are you there to encourage them? See, many times we become 
intimidated or we begin to say, well, I don't want to share my problems with others or I don't want to share what I've gone through with others. You're missing it all. Because God allowed you to go through these things so that you would be able to comfort others. This is what God brought the trial for, why he allowed the trial. The same way that he comforted you, he's calling you to comfort others. When it comes to my own trials and tribulations, for those that have lost a job, I am with you. I can comfort you the way God has comforted me. For those of you that have been rejected by family, I am with you. I can comfort you the way God has comforted me. For those of you that have been attacked at your jobs for your faith, I am with you. I can comfort you the way God has comforted me. For those of you that have people coming against you for no reason at all, I am with you. I can comfort you the way God has comforted me. For those of you that have lost parents, I'm with you. I can comfort you the way God has comforted me. There are so many ways God has comforted me. And my responsibility now is to share that comfort with you. And not only is it my responsibility, but whatever you have gone through, God wants you to comfort others. Your troubles should not be in vain. You know, for those of you that attend our midweek service, you know, we've been going through the Psalms. And when we look at the Psalms, what's so amazing about these Psalms is that David is sharing his trials and his tribulations with us. And he's walking in what God is asking us to do because he's sharing the comfort that he received from God. He's sharing it with all of us. We all know that for any of us that are going through some heavy-duty trials, for those of us that are going through some major problems, major tribulations, go through the book of Psalms and you're going to be encouraged. David is doing exactly what the Lord is asking us to do. And that's what's so amazing. You and I have been called to do this very thing. As we keep reading on in verse 5, he says here, For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation, so our comfort also abounds through Christ. Now if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or if we are comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope for you is steadfast because we know that as you are partakers of the sufferings, so also you will partake of the consolation. What is Paul saying here? Paul is saying that, you know what, if you've been afflicted, if you are going through trouble, troubles, it is what? For your comfort. I'm sorry, if we, if I'm going through these things, it's for your comfort. When we think about the statement that he's making here, Paul wants to reveal a truth that 
we get and we receive from these scriptures. That when I am going through trials and tribulations, I can identify with you. I know what you're going through. I've experienced the same thing that you've experienced. And because I've experienced the same thing, because I know what you're going through, I can comfort you. I can now encourage you. Let me share this with you. How many of you would like to be comforted by someone who's never walked in your shoes? Or would you rather be comforted by someone that has worn your shoes, that has gone through the problems and the tribulations that you've experienced? For me, I mean, they don't know my heartache. You wouldn't know, I would never know your heartache if I hadn't gone through the things that you've gone through. I wouldn't know the deep sorrow, the deep pain, the tears. I wouldn't know all of these things unless I walked in them. You know, when it comes to a loss of a child, can I comfort you if I have never lost a child? You would rather talk to somebody that knows your pain, that knows your affliction, that knows your sorrow, because they've gone through it. When my wife was diagnosed with cancer, she was looking for someone to encourage her, and she prayed. And this is when Nancy called Marilyn, Pastor Lyle's wife. For those of you that don't know Pastor Lyle, he's the one that was making the announcements here. Marilyn has gone to be with the Lord, but when Nancy was going through her battle with cancer, Marilyn was there to help her and to encourage her. And this was the beginning of a beautiful relationship that brought this couple to new beginnings. And it was Pastor Lyle who helped me as a husband to be there for my wife. To help me understand as he was there for his wife when she battled with cancer. And what's amazing about all of this is that now if there's anyone in this church that is also faced with cancer, you now have my wife who was doing worship up here who can encourage you, who can comfort you when you're going through this trouble. See, the troubles that each of us go through they're for the comfort of others. We can encourage, we can comfort the way that God has comforted us. To summarize, your troubles are to help others. Remember that. Your troubles are to help others. That's what's so amazing about all of this is that our troubles are to help others. Don't keep your experiences to yourselves because they were meant to encourage others. And this is why we have these words for us. 
our troubles are for the benefit of others. And this is how God is glorified through all of this. In summary, the comfort that we receive by God is twofold. Comfort others the way we've been comforted by God. And two, comfort others with your understanding of their troubles. As we now go into the second section of our teaching, we're now going to talk about the deliverance from suffering. The deliverance from suffering. And so let's go ahead and read verses 8 and 9. It says here, For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. You know, when it comes to Paul, he says that, you know what, this, this trouble that I received there in Asia, it was beyond measure. It was above my own personal strength. I despaired even to life. I want you to know that Paul was in a trial, in a deep, rooted, deep, and hard trial. It was so great, he tells us, that I was about to lose all hope. And when it comes to Paul, you know, many times we look at Paul as sort of a super giant of a man. We think to ourselves, you know what, he's not like us. He, we can't relate to him, but in reality, he was very much like us. He was a man that had fear. He was a man that was discouraged. He was a man that had great affliction. He was a man that had great trials. He was a man of great troubles, just like us. And in this trial and tribulation, he said that he was about to give up hope. He said he was in total despair. He was in the valley of death. And he was ready to give up. But yet, he brings us to an understanding. As he says there in verse 9, he came to a place of not trusting in himself, but in God. You know, Paul is able to reveal this very truth to us because he's gone through these things. The Lord had to encourage Paul many times. In Acts chapter 18, verses 9 and 10, when he was there in Corinth, Paul was very afraid. And the Lord shared with Paul, I am with you, do not be afraid. Not only at that time, but when Paul, remember, he was a prisoner, right? He was taken as a prisoner, and he was going to be taken to Rome. And on his way to Rome, he was on a boat, and in that boat, there was a great storm. And this storm was about to destroy the ship. And they all thought that they were going to perish, that they were all going to die. 
And the Lord brought him a word. Do not be afraid. See, Paul, as he experienced the comfort of God, as Paul is telling us, I've been there, as he's telling the Corinthians, I know what you're going through. I know these trials. And I'm here to share with you that I had to die to myself. I was at that point of just, I had to give up and just trust in God. And God did not disappoint. This trouble that he experienced in Asia, we don't know exactly what it was. We know that he had many trials as he was there in Ephesus. He had trials as he was there in Asia. We don't know exactly what it was, but it was a major trial. And when we think of our own lives, how many of us are going through some trying times today? How many of us are overwhelmed with our troubles? Just like Paul, are we losing hope? Just like Paul, are we in despair? Just like Paul, are we ready to give up? Well, the Lord wants to reveal something. That when we are in this place, as he says, don't trust in yourself, but trust in God. See, Paul says, I had to learn this. And that's why he's revealing it to us. I had to learn this. And as I learn this, I'm sharing it with you, that I'm able to trust in God who raises the dead. If he's able to raise someone from the dead, then he can do all things. When we look at other men, as I was speaking of King David earlier, right? Think about King David, all the trials, all the tribulations, all the places where he was. He was hunted down like a wild animal. He was, he was just a refuge. I mean, he was just a fugitive, I should say. He was just running and running. Death was around him. That's why he wrote, you know what? Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil, for you are with me. And your staff and your rod, they comfort me. David is also able to share these things with us because he came to the place of realizing that he couldn't trust in himself. And let's talk about these things as we're talking about not trusting in ourselves. Remember this, you cannot trust in yourself. Don't ever trust in yourself. And that's what the scripture is revealing to us. Why wouldn't we trust in ourselves? Because your emotions mislead you. Remember that. Your emotions will always mislead you. How many of us, I mean, I can be so happy and all of a sudden I get a phone call or I get this very sad news and all of a sudden I'm also saddened. So can I trust in emotions that are up and down? And that's the way our emotions are. They're constantly up and down. You can't trust in your emotions. Stop trusting in your emotions because they will only mislead you. Remember, we also have a finite mind. And they don't help you. Your mind will take you to places that you shouldn't go. How many of you have practiced to keep your thoughts captive? Otherwise, they just take you to places that you know you shouldn't be going. So how can you trust 
yourself. The same thing with your eyes, right? Your eyes only believe the things that are in front of you. But we haven't been called to walk by sight because they mislead us. They don't know what's working behind the scenes, which is the Lord himself. And we know one thing about our faith. It can get weak, right? I mean, remember that man that said, Lord, I believe, but help me with my what? Unbelief. So all of these things that work against us, that's why Paul is saying, don't trust in yourself. And that's why we have the wisdom from King Solomon, who tells us in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, to trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. He is the one that is called to direct you. Our emotions, our thoughts, our minds, our sight, our lack of faith will mislead us. But yet we are to come to a point of trusting in God, as he says, but in God. That's who we trust, who raises from the dead. If he is able to raise people from the dead, then he has the power over life, and he has the power over all things. And if he has the power over all things, then I definitely believe that I can trust in him. That's why we're to keep our eyes on him. Keep your eyes, as he reminded us, that he's the father of mercies and he's the God of all comfort. And there is nothing impossible for him. And then in verse 10, we're given some additional insight. Who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver us in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. When we look at this, Paul reminds us that he delivers us. He will deliver us, and he has delivered us. Let me, tell, let me give you what Paul is sharing here. Paul is sharing to us that he has a proven track record of deliverance. That's what he's given to us. I, God has a proven track record of deliverance. Look at the past, look at the present, and don't worry about the future. He's proven himself to be faithful. He's proven himself to be true. The issue that we have as people is that we are very sh short-minded. What do I mean by this? We forget that God delivers us and has delivered us. We forget the times of deliverance. We have a short-term memory like Elijah. Remember Elijah? As he prayed to God Almighty, and God Almighty brought fire from heaven and he destroyed and the, 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 the sacrifice that was there to prove that the God that we serve is the true and the living God. And after the 450 prophets of Baal, the false God are killed, he gets a threat from Jezebel. And as soon as he gets that threat, he forgets. He forgets what God has done. He forgets the deliverance of God. And so what does he do? He runs and he hides and he goes in a cave. We all have this short-term memory, just like Elijah. And because we have a short-term memory like Elijah, we have the word of God 
to remind us of how he delivered and how he has delivered. And we have these examples of men and women of faith. When you look at Abraham and Sarah, remember how God delivered Abraham and Sarah from Pharaoh, from Abimelech. When you look at Joseph, a 26-year trial, and we know the troubles that he went through. He was in prison. He was a slave. And God delivered him after 26 years. When you look at Moses and Joshua, in the wilderness, 40 years, God delivered them from their enemies. When you look at King David, with Goliath and King Saul, God delivered him. When you look at Rahab, the prostitute, she placed her faith in God. And God delivered her from the destruction of Jericho. When you look at Jonah and the great white fish, or in the great fish, God delivered him. When you look at Paul, God delivered him. God wants us to understand because we forget as we read the scriptures, we're reminded of God's great deliverance. And then in closing, we're going to talk about one final. And he gives it to us here from verse 11. You also helping together in prayer for us that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the gift granted to us through many. Paul, reve uh, Paul reveals that there was an additional component to the deliverance. And this was prayer. Paul reveals that he was helped by them through prayer. When I hear this, I'm just reminded, reminded of the power of prayer. How many people aren't praying or how many people even say, you know what, I don't need to pray. Or how many people aren't even asking for prayer. Yet God is revealing to us here that he helps through prayer. Paul is very clear that he was assisted by the prayers of the saints. God has delivered us because you had a part in it through your prayers, is what he says. You and I should never underestimate prayer. This is why here at this church we emphasize prayer. And I've seen God work time and time again through prayer. You know, when we think about, when I think about my own personal life, how God has answered prayer. Prayers that I've given, that I've made, and I've been diligent and persistent in some of them, and how he answers them, and others where I just prayed, and God decided just to answer as I asked. But one thing that I know is that God has continued to answer prayer. When it comes to Monday night, Pastor Lyle announced that 
we have here an amazing prayer night. It's a praise and prayer night. And how God is moving through the prayers that we give for others as well as, as we're praying for one another. You know what? We've never kept a journal of them. And you know what? As, and maybe we should because it's amazing how many prayers are answered as we gather together on Monday nights. This is why James tells us in chapter 5, verse 20, the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And not only that, but he says here in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, Therefore I exhort first of, first of all the supplications, prayers, intercession, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Remember Jesus, he emphasized prayer. He taught the disciples to pray. There was one thing that the disciples wanted to learn, and that was prayer. They didn't ask Jesus, teach me how to teach. They didn't ask Jesus, teach me how to heal. One thing that they asked Jesus was, teach me how to pray. And why would they ask him to teach them how to pray? Because they saw how Jesus devoted himself to prayer. And they saw how Jesus, how prayers were being In the end, God is glorified when we give God the honor for answered prayer. And that's what we do here. We, you know what, as we meet on Monday nights, we give a time of testimony too that people can share the time when God answers their prayers. It's an amazing time. And Paul is saying here, you know what, God is glorified. God is glorified. You know what, as you pray, the gift was granted to us for many of you. You know, as we are going to be having communion this afternoon, this is an amazing time just to remember what God has done for us. Let me remind you of the troubles that he went through. When we look at Jesus' suffering on earth and his death on the cross, but most of all his separation from the one that he was united with all the time, it was a time of great trouble, but when it comes to us, he, can, he knows what we go through. He knows what you and I go through because he went through the same troubles. Even though he was 100% God, he was still 100% man. He was confined to humanity at the moment. And as we think about that, right, we, we can come to our Heavenly Father and now ask him, you know what, to forgive us for not exercising maybe the comfort when we know that others have gone through the same problems that we're going through? Maybe we're, we've been embarrassed to do that, but yet that's what God requires of us. And if he requires that of us, are we obedient to do that? Before we take communion, we always give everyone an opportunity to confess their sin and not only confess maybe this lack of comfort, but also Maybe you've been practicing some sins that you know you shouldn't be doing, some things you shouldn't be doing. 
And maybe there's those things that you're blinded to that we want to come to the Lord and ask him to forgive us for we want nothing to hinder our walk with him. And so with that, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. I want us just to close our eyes and, and repeat this prayer, this prayer of confession and repentance.